for. Hello. Look, I'm just like you. <laughs> thumbs has, up to everything. Exactly. Guess who has four thumbs up and uh, wait. Is Eric. here weekly. <laughs> this guy. These guys. Uh, this podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Media Book Podcast uh, where we feature news and thoughts about movies, television, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. Today is... July 29th, 2020. This is another marooned edition of the podcast. We are coming to you from remote and recording exclusively on the internet for you. Um, This is episode 238. I know that now because I do the weekly post (laughs) and I have to know which number the episode is. So I'm going to know. Yeah, weekly posts. Weekly posts on the website. MediaBoatPodcast.com, where you can t- continue to read our written work. Um, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Media Boat Podcast. My name is Matt. That's correct. I don't know why I questioned that when it came out of my mouth. I was like, yeah, my name is Matt. That, that's correct. That's right. Have you not spoken your name to someone in so long that you forgot? I guess that's true. I guess you're right. I probably only do this like once a week on this podcast. Um... And his name is Mike. Yes, I'm Mike. Yeah. He's Matt. That works. Both podcast here, live, yes. in your ears via podcast feed. Or in your eyes. YouTube, if you want to treat this like a podcast via YouTube video. Or you can read what we write at mediaboatpodcast.com. Yeah. All of the things. All of those things are up, up to you with how you absorb our content. Um, let's get right into it. Uh, we used to start movies with the box office numbers, but eh, you know what the drill is. There's been three plus months at this point of this, four months now, four of months. this lockdown protocol marooned edition. You know that there's no box office to speak of. Basically, what was the summer box office of 2020 is, as of this weekend, officially gone. It's gone. It's dead. There's no more. So... Uh, let's roll right into movie news because we have movies specific or movies. We have news specifically about movies that are not coming out or are they? So this is a following continuation story that we've been doing on Warner Brothers, Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. Well, as it is tentatively (laughs) coming out. What you did there. Uh, So this is a follow-up specifically to last week's story where we talked about there was a possibility that Warner Brothers was kind of tossing around of releasing Tenet internationally to test the waters in places that were not as locked down for theatrical releases of films. And they have ultimately chosen that that is a good idea. So Warner Brothers will debut Tenet internationally starting on August 26th before opening only in select cities in the U.S. over Labor Day weekend, September 3rd. The studio announced on Monday that Tenet is launching in theaters at the end of August overseas, including Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Russia, and the United Kingdom. Note, that is not the U.S. and that is not China. As we discussed last week, there are reasons they cannot release a two-hour 30-minute-plus movie in Chinese theaters. Also note that they label Canada as an international film. Yes, I 
Yes. International box office. Technically true. Technically accurate. Uh, so there's no word on how many U.S. cities will see that September 3rd premiere. And there is still no movement on the film opening to Chinese audiences because of what we discussed. The studio hopes to provide a box office spark, given the fact that foreign markets are already starting to reopen safely and desperately need new Hollywood movies to entice crowds to go back to the theater. Warner Brothers needs a hit, by the way, because Tenet's production costs landed at around $200 million and cost tens of millions more to market because there was still marketing happening for this film, even when it wasn't being released. And I bet that marketing includes remarketing, rebranding, and then yeah. re-remarketing and re-rebranding. Yes. And now having to cater to international audiences that they didn't have to, didn't imagine they would have to cater as heavily to. Mm -hmm. So Christopher Nolan gets what he wanted, sort of. He gets his movie out in theaters on film the way he wanted it to, but nobody here outside of an elite few will see it? Uh, yes. I mean, unless you're willing to travel, which yeah. if you can't travel to the EU if you're in the U.S. because they'll be put in either a travel ban or 14-day quarantine. Right. And um, a lot of countries, yeah, a lot of countries will just straight up refuse yep. travelers from the United States, including Canada. Even our neighbor up north will not let you come over right now if you're from the U.S. Yeah, uh, so by those select theaters, I'm going to assume they have to be independently owned mm -hmm. um, somewhere in the neighborhood of a state that is allowing these theater places to open or someone's going to basically drive-in movie theater? I don't know what the other option is. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to work, even in select cities and in September. Because chances are, by the time September 3rd rolls around, we'll still be doing the same thing we're doing right now. And so, yeah, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine uh, a lot of people seeing Tenet when it's released. Or at least in the U.S. But then again, they put it in Labor Day weekend because it's Labor Day weekend. Yeah. But the other thing, the other kind of wrinkle to this that we briefly mentioned last week is that one of the reasons why this is a weird idea is and hasn't been attempted before is because even an international release puts the movie at risk of being leaked. If you get somebody from Italy, like filming the screen, that can be seen easily in the United States. And this, especially with, as we again brought up last week, Christopher Nolan movies typically have big twists in their last act. Well, so much for that. Everybody knows the twist and nobody cares about seeing Tenet anymore. Right, but do notice that they usually, that Marvel and Disney usually do these releases where they do international the week beforehand. So it's not a new concept. This isn't like no. some mind-blowing thing where, oh my God, they're releasing an international film before the U.S. gets it. No, no this is something that has happened before. But it's still a risk. Oh, no, it's a definite risk. I think that people who want to know will seek it out yeah. and be spoiled. But for a majority movie audience, like general movie-going audience, will not be spoiled. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Interesting, though. Interesting kind of way that this 
ends, maybe? I don't know. This has been such a weird-ass story with this movie, and we'll, I guess, find out uh, when September comes along. I'm very curious into specifically Christopher Nolan's contract, because yeah. he usually forgoes salary for first-dollar grosses. Yes. And if they open yeah. with a, such a low number, mm-hmm. how much of that does he get? Yeah, this is the first time where that may have been a bad move for him. Like, right. in his career. Before, it's always been a great idea. but Which, you know, you know, before 2019, when this was filming in 2018, 2017. Made sense. Yeah, great, great idea. Yeah. So, we'll see. We will definitely see. It's definitely, we'll continue watching this story. Speaking of continuing watching a story, our next story in film is also a follow-up. A follow-up to a story about uh, about a couple months ago, at least this point, I think, about AMC Theaters and Universal Pictures. Yeah, how they decided not to no longer show yes. Universal films. Yes, this was one of the craziest stories that happened early into our quarantined state here at the podcast. Uh, back in April, in fact... So AMC had announced it would no longer showcase Universal's film slate at its more than 1,000 locations. The feud, of course, was over streaming rights and basically Universal saying, hey, maybe we will start streaming movies day one on digital platforms instead of just releasing it in theaters at first, considering also to do this after quarantine ended. AMC saw this as a threat to their business, was basically like, well, if that's what you're going to do, we don't want to deal with you. We don't want to do business with you anymore and made a big announcement to pull their movies. Right. They saw it as breaking from their contract and traditional norms. Yeah. So I guess that Universal was willing to play ball with AMC. AMC was willing at least to consider what they were going to come to the table with. And thus they have made some sort of an agreement. Uh, this agreement would see AMC show Universal Films on the big screen again and grant Universal a smaller theatrical window so that way if it was going to do an on-demand release, they could make that available sooner uh, as opposed to later while also showing their films on, in AMC theaters at the same time. At part of the deal, Universal and Focus Features, which I guess is part of this Universal conglomerate deal, uh, must play movies and cinemas for at least three weekends, 17 total days, before releasing those films on premium video on-demand platforms. Previously, theaters had the exclusive rights to films for 90 days. Neither company disclosed the full terms of the deal, stating that it was confidential, so who knows if there's little other bits and pieces that may also be part of this negotiation. Um, Adam Aaron. CEO of AMC, Mr. Two First Names, said in a statement, AMC will also share in these new revenue screams that will screams, wow, streams for you. Ah. Uh, that will come to the movie ecosystem from premium video on demand. So they get to have their piece of the pie there too, which is probably the thing that AMC wanted in order to get this to be a deal. Yes, but notice how focus features is attached to this universal contract, which I've seen a lot of people leave out. Yeah. But I'm betting that's the major player there that it's not going to be universal films a la Fast and Furious 17 days after a theatrical release, you get to see it in your house. No, it's a lot more of these smaller independent films that get the theatrical release 
mm-hmm. get the initial box office that they're going to make of two, five, ten million dollars, mm-hmm. and then immediately are being seen streaming video, prime video on demand. They're playing in volume here. This mm-hmm. is a volume move because it makes sense to do a volume move if you're going to also have a piece of the on-demand money as well. So that way, no matter where you are, even after that 17 days, AMC theaters get a piece. And it's going to be potentially very lucrative of a deal for them. And I would not be surprised if over, meanwhile, over at Regal, they're probably looking at this and be like, man, we should have done something like this. We want a piece of that video on demand money too. And so this could be the thing that, this is the thing we didn't see coming, right? Because back when we reported this story, we were basically about to write off movie theaters, more or less. We would basically envision a future where they basically don't have leverage, is what I had said specifically. I had said, well, they don't have leverage anymore. The, the studios are going to win out, and this is going to change the way that they do business with these things. What we didn't see is that, yeah, they wanted part of the pie. They wanted part of the on-demand pie, now that they got it, that's going to be the thing that changes, is that people are still going to want to see movies in theaters. That business model isn't going to go away, but the chains are getting, they're diversifying their portfolio, you could say. And it's smart. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that this is going to AMC making this deal and not all movie theaters. Well, so it's interesting that Universal one. gets a premium or a first look deal at certain universal films, whereas Regal and say Cinemark does not. I think that that's part of the the thing is that they were the only ones to throw fit. That's the thing. You were the only one that throws a fit. You're the one who gets to come to the table. Like the other guys, they laid low. They stayed back. That's unfortunately bad, like ended up being bad choice for them. Like usually if you don't, yeah, it's not ideal, but like that's, I guess, just the, the ways the negotiation happens. But I just don't see, like, I don't see the big movies going straight to, to video on demand because under the initial contracts that studios get, it's not just from AMC, it's from all theaters. I mean, that's why it says at least, right? The deal, the language is at least three weekends. So that gives Universal some, well, it gives you AMC really some leverage there and just be like, well, not a big deal if this specific movie doesn't, like, doesn't hit streaming, right? Or Universal has the ability to extend that window as long as they want. So if they want to still wait like the classic model, those 90 days, they can't. They have the option to. Right, but as I'm trying to get at here, that this will affect the smaller films, not necessarily the big blockbuster films where Universal needs to make money on so they keep it in theaters as long as they can. I think they're going to, what we're going to see after, whenever uh, quarantine ends, is they'll probably play around with this, with their, they'll experiment a little bit with their first slate of releases, I would imagine. And eventually they'll settle on a number that works. They'll figure out, they'll see, have their numbers guy look at a graph and they'll say, when this line crosses this line, we initiate video on demand. I'm going to say, look for either horror films or family films yeah. to be the first ones to make the, those jumps. Yeah. No brainer right there. No brainer. Because as we found out with Trolls World Tour is that 
a family with young kids is going to want to get that thing as fast as possible on their TV so their kids will watch it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. You saw any movies this week that you want to talk about? I did not see any movies this week. Okay. No, nothing streaming-wise. All right. Well, that means we can move right into television news. And we always start television with our sports corner. Sports is back. I think we can say that officially this week because not only do we have baseball, but we are days away from basketball. We are days away from hockey. Things are, games are being played all over the place. Uh, and yeah, there's sports everywhere you look. Um, for now. <laughs> yeah, for now. We'll see. I don't know. Baseball is already feeling the pressure with several teams getting um, hit by a lot of people catching the virus. Um, so it's only a matter of time until, you know, rules get changed. The league maybe strengthen some rules, maybe loosen some others. I don't know. There's a lot of options, a lot of things that could possibly happen. Um, All right, so yeah. what sports stories do we have? Let's go through it. First of all, speaking of hockey and, and, like, and hockey fans anticipating the opening or reopening, I guess, no opening uh, of their season, uh, they've also announced that there's going to be a new hockey team, uh, the Seattle Kraken. We knew that Seattle was getting a team before. We did not know what they were going to be called until recently. And yes, they've released the Kraken. How do, how do you feel about the Seattle Kraken? Uh, let's get cracking. It's right in there. It's right in the name. Plenty of signs ready for them to go. Um, it is worth noting that 24 hours past them revealing the name and revealing basically their website, they sold, they moved 500,000 pieces of merchandise in 24 hours, which beat the old record of the Las Vegas Knights, which opened up two years ago now, last year. Last year, two years ago. Two. Uh, but yeah, this officially makes the NHL League 32 teams, yep. completing the expansion that started, or that was talked about in 2015 to add two more teams, Las Vegas Knights, and now the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a good name. I think it's a good name. I like um, that it's based in Seattle. Like, I, I'm glad Seattle has more sports teams. Um, I like their logo design. It's an anchor but the Space Needle is also part of the Anchor. It's I mean, we love Anchor logos. Oh, we love Anchor logos. We here. love Anchor's Anchor logos, specifically that are mixed with other things. So does this make um, Seattle Kraken the Media Vote podcast hockey team? <laughs> let's, let's wait. Let's, I hesitate. Let's, let's wait and see if they're any good. Well, if they get the same deal that the Golden Knights had... Yeah. Yes, there is a great possibility that they're, they're just able to pull all these players from all of these different teams. Yeah, exactly. I bet they look pretty good. All right, let's move on. Either that, or maybe teams learn from the Golden Knights of who they should protect. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. Right. Uh, let's move on to the world of women's basketball. WNBA has begun and already um, are making uh, political statements. Uh, just like the NBA has uh, been wont to do. Um, they uh, had their players walk off the court during the national anthem in protest of Breonna Taylor's death. Um, yeah, very strong tribute there. Mm-hmm. And very cool to see a big league like this to do that. Yep. 
Uh, they also dedic- are dedicating this season to Breonna Taylor, yeah. uh, the EMT worker who was shot and killed in right. her bed. Um, they are bringing voices um, for, for their names on the back of their jerseys. Mm-hmm. Have either Breonna Taylor or say her name or know her name. Yeah. Um, yeah, very powerful. I turned it on because the number one overall pick, Brianna Ionescu, was playing. Right. I wanted to see her in her debut game. Yes. And yes. yeah, it was a strong statement. Yeah, for sure. Being and right off the bat. You're seeing this in a lot of sports uh, 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 leagues that have just recently opened. In uh, baseball, a lot of the players are wearing Black Lives Matter patch, uh, patches. Uh, they're uh, kneeling during the anthem in a lot of cases. Um, you see, um, you see, uh, indi- like, like the league itself uh, kind of do Black Lives Matter versions of the MLB logo itself, and that's being on a lot of the pitcher mounds in a lot of the stadium. It's really cool um, that we're seeing statements of this, uh, this strength and like this specific specificity on this big uh, nationally televised scale. And especially with sports having been gone this entire time that yeah. all eyes are practically going to be on them. I think yeah, I mean, when they debut, when ESPN had its first game back yeah, for MLB, it hit record numbers. It was like a top 10 game in the last 10 years of baseball, mm-hmm. which is crazy. For just, for just an opening game. Yeah. For just an opening game. It's just everybody's home and everybody was starved for sports content. Yep. So if you tell somebody, Hey, you can watch a sport right now and it matters. They're going to turn it on and they're going to watch it. I know I did. Yep. I um, currently have it on. Dodgers are playing Houston right now. <laughs> I'm holding out for the Angels game later. Uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. when we're done with this podcast, though. Yeah. Convenient, huh? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's really cool. Uh, and, yeah, the WNBA, I feel like especially – I think this is, going to, this is going to be the thing that I think gets a lot of more eyes on the WNBA as a league. I think it's a league that's been, I think, just – like snowballing and getting bigger and bigger as it goes on, especially recently. Mm-hmm. And I think the both the fact that you have a new superstar player, potential superstar player, I should say, she just started, um, and a um, and a lot of more eyes at home that have the ability to watch sports. I think those two things are going to really catapult the WNBA into a new stratosphere. It also helps that NBA players, current NBA players, are tweeting about the WNBA and what yes. they're doing. Yes. So bringing more eyes there as well via social media. So yeah, it's a great time to be a sports fan, weirdly enough. After it was a terrible f- time, I think now we're getting to the point where actually a lot of fascinating things are happening in every league. So, Aren't you happy you're a sports fan now? I mean, you dragged me <laughs> kicking and screaming. No, you didn't drag me at all. It wasn't you. Uh, it's just, you know what? The, 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 you know, the boxes or I don't know even how to put it, the the dominoes fell in a way that it ended up being the right time. Weirdly enough. Like it made sense. I don't know. Weird stuff's weird in 2020, I guess is what you could say. In case you didn't know already. In case you didn't already figure that out. All right, let's move on. Speaking of baseball, as I was briefly mentioning it before, so we have a little bit of follow-up for that Toronto Blue Jays story of how Canada would not them let them play um, home games. Well, they found a home in their minor league stadium in Buffalo. So that's where they were playing their Called it. Games. Called it from last called week. It. You did? Uh, right after they announced that they could 
they would not play in PNC Park in uh, Philadelphia right. or Pittsburgh. Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. In Philly. Yeah. So, yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. Yep. The Buffalo Blue Jays Buffalo for Blue. a season. That's good. It's, I like the alliteration there. Same. Uh, meanwhile, as I kind of obliquely mentioned earlier. Although, does that make them two animal team names? The Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo Blue Jays? <laughs> Takes them whatever you want them to be. Uh, speaking of animal baseball players, though, the 14 Marlins players are not so happy to be Marlins right now because they have all tested positive for COVID-19, resulting in the rest of their week's games to be postponed. So initially, when the first report came out, it was nine. Yeah. Then after like the game it came to 11, and now here we are a couple days later, it's 14 players. That's 14 a lot players of- and coaches or players and staff yeah tested positive um yeah. note that there are only allowed nine players out on the field at a time yeah and they have 14 cases That's a little, that basically makes you unable to play the game of baseball and sure enough they aren't able to play the game of baseball yep. of course this would happen to a team based in florida um yes although apparently when they probably contracted the virus they were playing an exhibition game against uh, the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta, where it eventually came out that several players on the team decided to leave their hotels to go out for an exploratory night yeah. in Atlanta. <laughs> oh, boy. So not only did it come from Atlanta, but then they flew to Philadelphia, stayed in Philadelphia for several days, played against the Phillies, and then we're planning to play against the uh, Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. but had to stop. So they're still quarantined in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees, who were supposed to play the Phillies, got stopped from, from flying there as well. So that's so even though that's one team, they've yeah. already endangered four other teams because they got yeah uh positive cases so we'll see how testing goes with these other teams we'll see if they you know have have, if the protocol safety protocols were in place strong enough to see if they were able to withstand it but ultimately yeah this could have a very material effect on the rest of the season Mm -hmm. if more and more teams are found to have outbreaks as large as this so we'll see yep all right uh, the next, the uh, next thing is you add a story about the the Dodgers game here uh, that involved a big, big ass fight. Yeah, it did. Baseballfights.com. That's my favorite website. No, that's not a real website. No, it's um, blazeball.com. That's <laughs> a fight. We'll, we'll talk about that later. At least, at least these fights don't involve uh, players literally being incinerated uh, by a gaping <laughs> hellmouth. In this case, uh, this was a very real physical fight. So what happened? Uh, Dodgers pitcher Joe Kelly took the mound yesterday and decided to uh, – it was their first game. It was the Dodgers versus the um, Asterix, the Houston Asterix, <laughs> as we're calling them this season. Yes. My favorite uh, thing about this was um, I wasn't watching the game, but I saw all night on Twitter, hashtag cheaters was a trending topic in Los Angeles. Yes, yes, it was. 
Um, so they played them, and then Joe Kelly, who was a part of the team last year, decided to throw at a couple of the batters and yeah. then made some faces after he struck one of them out swinging like, mm. Yeah. And so uh, the Astros decided to clear their bench and started walking towards the Dodgers bench. The Dodgers, meanwhile, cleared their bench, and everyone <laughs> was nicely social distancing while trying to fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So you have people like with masks on, like trying to talk to each other in jar while still not trying to touch people. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but uh, pitcher Joe Kelly did get suspended uh, as of like an hour ago, eight games for that stunt. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, as part of MLB cracking down on violence in the game or whatever. Yeah. But, hey, I mean, they're still playing. As I said right now, they're on. Dodgers versus Astros are currently on TV. Game's still going on as scheduled. So far, I have seen no fights. But, hey, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, this is going to be the story. I mean, I've been talking about it ever since we started talking about Ever since it came out in, like, January or February. even, Even back when it was a theoretical new season of baseball, we were still talking about, like, it's going to, Astros games are going to be weird. I can't. I do want to peek into the alternate universe though and see what that game I would have been at in person would have been like in Anaheim. You would have been at the home opener. Yeah. Of Angels versus Astros. Like, imagine how crazy that game would have been. You could not social distance in that game. No, but we wouldn't have had to in that alternate universe. So yes. I don't know. It's weird to consider all of this, but uh, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch the Astros season. What a again! What a what a time! What a time to be watching sports. I know I, I I'm trying to continue to watch sports, and yet <laughs> well, I have other things to do. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Then anything else in sports while we're on the subject? Before we move on, uh, real briefly, NFL training camp will get started here in yes. a short while because um, had we had a regular season, next week would have been the Hall of Fame game, right. by preseason. Um, officially, NFL has canceled preseason. I think we talked about this last week. We but officially, like it went all the way around to where people were trying to tell me, oh my God, they canceled preseason. Like, yeah, I knew about that a week ago. Where were you? Been talking about it. Um, but also, the NFL is allowing players to opt out of the NFL season. Yeah. Um, currently, there is, I've counted, four or five players who have decided to opt out. Okay. Um, two of them, or three of them, from the defensive uh, side of New England, the defensive players. Uh, one running back today uh, for Kansas City Chiefs opted out. And then, in a more interesting story, one of the linemen from Kansas City Chiefs decided to opt out of the season. But... Not for the reason you'd think. Not because he's scared, but because he's an actual doctor oh. um, who is taking his time in the offseason to go help actual hospitals. That's so he's foregoing this season to stay and fight team. on the hospital front lines. Well, that's, that's cool. Oh. Uh, other than that, players will be re- for NFL will be reporting soon. And I know this because I've started mock drafting. <laughs> Just assuming they're going to play. Fantasy continues regardless. I, I got fantasy football uh, on the brain now. 
Yep. It's, it begins. Speaking of fantasies, yes. some people want to win some awards. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantasy in 2020, let me tell you. Yep. Yes, let's move into television news, and we start television news this week with the Emmy nominations. Yes, believe it or not, they're still having the Emmys. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, um, virtual Emmys, I assume. Virtual Emmys, probably. Uh, but for now, uh, we at least know the nominations because this is last year's television. Television still happened last year. So we can at least reward the people who uh, did a good job on television in 2019. Why not, right? Yeah, why not? So uh, generally speaking, no super big surprises this year. It was pretty much what you'd expect. Um, Netflix set an industry record by receiving 160 nominations total across all the categories. HBO scored 107 themselves, with Watchmen leading their pack with an impressive 26 nominations. I believe they lead all TV shows with 26. Yeah, for a single show, yeah. NBC led the major broadcasting networks with 47 for their shows. Including uh, noms for The Good Place and This Is Us, some media boat favorites. Now, you have down here that they, neither of them were nominated for Outstanding Series. I want to make a correction. The Good Place is up for Outstanding Comedy. Okay, I didn't see that. I saw it yesterday okay. when I looked at them. And I saw, I saw it for it. writing. That's I didn't weird. see it for. But yeah. no, it's definitely up for Outstanding Comedy. It okay. won't win, but it's up for it. Um, so, yeah, uh, pretty much what you would expect to see on those lists. Um, another kind of cool little sleeper hit, though, surprise, has been Shit's Creek, which got 15 nominations. And right, which we had talked about winning the Canadian Awards. Yes. Uh, so it's good to see it uh, kind of being a cult favorite, kind of peeking its head in the Emmys here. And then if you're wondering what uh, filled the HBO void after Game of Thrones is over, uh, Succession with 17 nominations. So, Presumably one of them for that theme song. Yeah, Succession was successful at succeeding Game of yeah. Thrones. What do you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, overall, it's, it's, it's Emmys. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think your usuals are going to win Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no Fleabag this year, though. No, but unless we see a Schitt's Creek upset, it's Mrs. Maisel in the comedy categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drama-wise, I don't know. It's kind of a wide-open field again this year. Yeah, I didn't see anything in particular. Same with the miniseries. I mean, miniseries, Uh, probably Watchmen. Probably. I think they are counting that as a miniseries. I think you're going to see Watchmen there. Um, But also of note, Tiger King is Emmy-nominated Tiger King now Uh for Best Documentary. (laughs) Hey, you know what? If you're telling me next year we have Emmy-nominated Labor of Love, then clearly. (laughs) No, but I think Love is Blind was nominated for a reality show. Oh, no. Well, because there's two. There's reality scripted and there's reality unscripted. Right, right. So it would qualify there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll have more news about this as we get closer to any season. But yeah, man, weird. It's just going to get weirder, too. Yep, Emmys are still a thing. Still a thing. All right, television. Did you watch any television? Um, No, but I think we have one more story, right? Do we? 
Oh, we did. Sorry. We talked so much about sports, I thought that was a story itself. Uh, no, we have a real brief, uh, I'll just move past this very quickly, uh, second television story that actually has been kind of, we kind of been on and off kind of talking about off the podcast. So, uh, I, yeah, I went back and looked through the notes and we never actually talked never about it on the podcast. No. Because it's just been all talk and no action. And well, I've also, yeah. we finally got some action. And we've also, I've also had conversations about this uh, happening with other people, uh, not involved with this podcast. Well, not as, not every week at least. And so, yeah, it's interesting to see this kind of, this has finally snowballed to the point where we're covering it. So, Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, maybe not the, uh, like, hasn't had the most stellar history of people talking about both her and her show in a rumor-like way on the internet over the last few years. And it has finally come to a head. The Ellen DeGeneres show has become the subject of an internal investigation now by Warner Media, following numerous accounts of workplace problems on the long-running daytime series. Warner Brothers Television sent a memo to staffers last week saying they have engaged a third-party firm who will interview current and former staffers about their experiences on the Ellen set. In April... Variety reported on the treatment of legacy crew members during the coronavirus lockdown. In mid-July, BuzzFeed published a report alleging racism and intimidation on the show. And in April, Variety reported about distress and outrage among DeGeneres' production crew, who were subjected to poor communication and told to expect reduced compensation during initial coronavirus shutdowns even as the series hired non-union crews to mount a quarantine production from the host's Los Angeles home. So all of this is stuff that I had heard before, kind of scuttlebutt. On top of the stuff about people who on the show who had directly interacted with Ellen and had stories about Ellen herself being kind of the source of a toxic work environment and being a problem to work with alone. So like from every angle of this show, it seems like it seems like it's hell to work on. Yeah. The Buzzfeed article um, started as a Twitter post question of, does anyone out there have stories about working on or with the Ellen DeGeneres show? And it got thousands of replies of people more or less saying the same things about how it's a toxic work environment, how they felt racial tensions while working there, that it wasn't the best place, and that just everyone seemed to have stories from working there. Yeah. So now that I guess Warner Media is, you know, back in the offices (laughs) and probably looking at renewing um, the Ellen Show for the next couple of years, they probably want to do some due diligence and see how much of this is substantial information, how much of it is hearsay, and what can be done to rectify it. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what this finds, because it seems from everything we've heard externally is that, yeah, it seems like it's every element of the show seems to be touched by something like this. So... Yeah, Yeah, but uh, luckily enough, this is a third party doing the investigation. Yeah. So hopefully there'll not be any, what's the word I'm looking for? Toxic. Like bias? Bias, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully. That's what you'd want from all of these things. So, yeah, I guess we'll see how it pans out. Toxic yeah. results. Yes, yeah. an unbiased opinion, an unbiased look. If this goes badly, I can imagine a world in which uh, maybe we don't have an Ellen show anymore. Yeah. It all right, let's move on. So television, did you watch any? Uh, no, I have TV to watch this upcoming week, though, as okay. uh, the Umbrella Academy season two yes. premieres on Saturday, mm-hmm. Friday, the 31st. Also, that new Beyonce, Black is King, will premiere yes. on the 31st. Yep. Uh, anything else you're looking forward to then? Uh, I totally realized that I have a that free trial all year for Apple TV Plus, so I intend on checking out the uh, the Lauren Bouchard series of Bob's Burgers fame, uh, Central Park, which has okay. been for a while. I feel like I should do my due diligence and actually check that out because it seems like it'd be up my alley. Mm-hmm. So I started. Um, like watching it, but only got like three seconds in today before more work came in for me to do. Um, so yeah, I will eventually get uh, that. Will be something I will task myself to catch up on. Um, other than that, um, uh, currently there's new seasons of uh, Amphibia and the Owl House on Disney Channel. I'm in the middle of those as they continue to air. Um, so that's pretty much what I've been watching. Um, so yeah, that's it for new stuff. I've been going back and decided to watch House with my doctor so that way you can get a doctor's perspective on it. (laughs) Doctor, doctor. Exactly. (laughs) Those aren't 2020 shows. That's not a 2020 show though. No, no, it's not. All right. Let's move on then. Let's talk about cancellations and renewals. Let's see what will continue to exist and not exist in 2020. All right. What am I no longer watching? Well, you're still watching, well, maybe not you specifically, but someone is still watching Perry Mason on HBO because the reboot of Perry Mason is getting a second season already. So HBO Max keeps wanting me to watch Perry Mason. I'm still kind of not into it because it's a prequel to Perry Mason. It's like how we started. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that uh... is. Netflix is bringing back Sweet Magnolias for a second season. Those magnolias will become even sweeter, I'm sure. Amazon's bringing back the boys. The boys are back in town, you could say, for a third season. This is ahead of its second season uh, premiere. Yeah, that's correct, I believe. Netflix bringing back Outer Banks for a second season, as well as renewing The Dragon Prince through its fourth season. I believe its third has yet to air as well. So. Uh, That's four additional seasons. Oh, my correction. Uh, Yes, four more seasons. So lots more Dragon Prince to come. So yeah, if it's just coming up at its third season, it'll go through seven seasons then? Potentially. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, then again, that's basically what they did with Voltron, and this is similar, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Netflix, or sorry, Stars is bringing back Pea Valley for a second season. I don't know what that is. And Netflix nope. is bringing back How to Sell Drugs Online Fast for a third season. There you go. All right. Let's talk about deaths. I'm uh, guessing it's not successful if they needed three seasons to tell me how to do it. Yeah, I guess not. Though, big week of deaths. They're kind of all pretty crazy. So I'm just going to start from the top. 
which believe it or not, starts with uh, arguably the biggest on this list, television legend Regis Philbin, age 88. Known, of course, for being a talk show staple for years with Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, later Live with Regis and whoever, you know, it went through several permutations. Mm-hmm. But of course, also uh, became a, a living meme in the 2000s with uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And then, of course, has a storied history of hosting other things throughout the years. Um, years and years, decades on television, became a television institution in the U.S. So, yeah, uh, definitely a sad one to see mm-hmm. him go. Uh, so much so that Jeopardy! decided to, this week, run a, a medley of different celebrity Jeopardies. Yeah. Starting on Monday with the one that Regis was on. Yeah. So we Makes watched sense. that and it was nice. Yeah. Good, good memory lane. <laughs> so yeah, definitely will be missed. Next up, Peter Green, age 73, a Hall of Fame, uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame, you should, I should say. Uh, blues rock singer-songwriter, uh, famous for the song Black Magic Woman, but also was an early member of Fleetwood Mac, uh, recorded on their earliest albums in the 70s, as well as the Peter Green Splinter Group, which makes sense because he is the Peter Green that's mentioned in the Splinter Group. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely a storied guitarist. Um, we also have Dame Olivia de Havilland, a famous, famous actress, age 104. Woo! Big one. Uh, of course, was in Gone with the Wind, The Adventures of Robin Hood, To Each His Own. Won an Oscar in 1947 and 1950, respectively. So yeah, a... Uh, Staple of classic Hollywood cinema. That's that's one of them that's going to get a lot of applause in the in memoriam segment. Mm-hmm. Probably same with Regis. Yeah. Next up, Reese Schoenfeld, age eighty-eight, a TV executive, president of CNN from nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty-two, and the founder of Food Network. Thank you so much for that. I watch yes. it all the time. Yeah, it's like we. What would we do without our Food Network? We would not have a Guy Fieri. Yeah, thanks, Reese. And lastly in deaths, Malik B, age 47, a member of the Roots. Yeah, that one happened today. Today, that. that was yeah, breaking news today. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely, yeah, part of what made the Roots an important band. Um, so yeah, definitely sad to see. And 47 is young. 47 is very young. It's true. I mean, we had 104 person here, so. Right, exactly. Contrast those two. No contest. All right. Let's flip it over into music. I hand this over to you. We'll All right. We're chugging right along here as we start the music news. And we always start music with the billboard. And we always start the billboard with the Hot 100. Ooh, and hot. nothing is hotter than the song neither of us decide to listen no. to, no, either no. on purpose or what, but no. Rockstar by the baby featuring roddy rich yeah it's number one and we cool. still have no idea what that is Bill. Cool. uh number two what's poppin by jack harlow featuring the baby tori lanes and lowell wayne yep at number three pop star by dj khaled featuring drake dj khaled uh yeah that's what i said dj dj khaled I thought you said DJ Calvin. <laughs> I was like, who's DJ Calvin? Yeah, the, the, the DJ Khaled. I want to note that we have two songs in the top five this week. One called Rockstar and one called Popstar. 
you, it's it's weird. It's just very weird. That's all yeah. I have to say about that. Uh, good that you noticed that because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> n- number four, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. And number five, Roses by St. Jun. Ding dong. All right. All right. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, uh, your number one album uh, is Legends Never Die by Juice World. Second week at number one. At number two, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by Pop Smoke. At three, Gaslighter by The Chicks. Yep, surged right up into the top five this week, but couldn't quite crack top two. At number four, Hamilton, an American musical by the original Broadway cast. And at number five, My Turn by Lil Baby. It remains Lil Baby's turn. Nobody else can take their turn yet. As long as they're in the top five, he still gets the little baby drop. Little baby. All uh, right. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. <laughs> what do we got? What do we? What am I listening to this week? I think I know what you're listening to, but here are the new releases. All right. As we have "Such Pretty Forks in the Road" by Alanis Morissette. Yes, that yeah. Alanis Morissette. Yeah, it's true. Uh, B seven by Brandy. That Brandy. That Brandy? Yes, that Brandy. Uh, we also have Sex, Death, and the Infinite Void by Creeper. Uh, a Hero's Death by Fontaine's DC. Uh, we also have Indistinct conserv- cons- converse- Conservations. <laughs> I-, I know how to say conservatives. It's a very normal word that you see all the time. <laughs> No, because I see people talk, not have conversations. <laughs> they spoke to them. Uh-huh. Uh, indistinct conversations by Land of Talk. Yeah. And lastly, we have Made of Rain by the Psychedelic Furs. Yep. You stroke the furry wall? No, I was doing the rain. Oh. Uh, Both work. Both work. Speaking yeah. of things that work. News. Music news. News. News works sometimes. Yeah. Uh, also, the chain smokers do work, you know, when they're not in Paris or whatever. Yeah, or something. Well, where there's chain smokers, or there's definitely fire. As uh, the chain smokers are taking heat for a controversial charity fundraiser held in the Hamptons at a 100 acre lot that was transformed into a drive in. For the concert. As a result of the concern over the Safe and Sound fundraiser, one state official has jumped in to demand answers. Yeah. Uh, the New York Health Commissioner, Howard Zucker, wrote to Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman Monday saying that he was greatly disturbed about the concert. I'm always quote, greatly disturbed by the chain of smokers, honestly. Uh, quote, I'm at a loss as to how the town of Southampton could have issued a permit for such an event, how they believed it was legal and not an obvious public health threat, Zucker wrote in the letter, which was taken by BuzzFeed, of course. Uh, Zucker suggested that at some point, it became clear violations were rampant as photos and videos from the event show some attendees wearing masks, although they appear to be in the minority. 
Yeah. And uh, then my favorite bit of this story is this last line here. Yep, because Golden Sachs chief executive, David Solomon, <laughs> was the support act <laughs> for the chain smokers in the guise of his alter ego, EDM DJ D Soul. So if you were writing the like parody version of the COVID-19 pandemic and somebody had told you, oh, well, there was like a chain smokers concert and like a lot of people were stupid and didn't wear masks and, and it was just like crazy. Like you could not write something as obviously on the nose and stupid as, oh, what did like Goldman Sachs CEO like played like a DJ set there. He literally did. This he reminds did. me of the Shaq life where Shaq wanted to be a DJ. <laughs> but you can't make this up. It's like the it's like a parody of like making fun of capitalism in 2020. You cannot make it up. You cannot. Yeah, it's but if he has the money to, you know, probably the one who funded this concert. Surely he wants to put his own stuff out there. Also, if he's CEO, isn't he like 80 at this point? <laughs> no, presumably no, he's not. Um, so yeah, it's just insane to me. I don't know. It's just weird that people would even attend something like this. And of course, if they're going to attend to this, they're not going to follow precautions. So yeah, you know what? Like all bets are off. And the chain smokers should be like literally like, like how are they still one a thing? And two... How are they out here being like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this concert and not know this was going to be a, like a complete like media shit show as soon as it happened? Well, you know how we talked about the country concerts going on in Tennessee where yeah. they were tailgating from their cars. So it's right. like, hey, we'll just do that. Can't we just do that exact thing? It's just, you know, at an EDM concert. But it's just, I don't know. It's just incomprehensible how stupid this all is. So, so stupid. I don't know. If this doesn't kill their careers. No, no. The Chainsmokers will continue to be a thing. Of course they will. Because of course they will. Because that's the life, that's the world we live in. (laughs) All right. Let's have a nicer story, please. All right. Um... Let's talk about an EGOT winner, shall we? Yeah, we love an EGOT here on the Media Boat Podcast. Yeah, we do. Uh, As Alan Menken became the latest recipient of EGOT status following his daytime Emmy win on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, July 26th. I want to get your, I want to take your temperature on something real quick. I was talking to a friend of the show, Christy, about this. Mm -hmm. She is an EGOT aficionado. Okay. Uh, and she is pissed. Does do daytime Emmys count? Yes, that is her thing. She doesn't believe that a daytime Emmy should count or as an EGOT. She believes that it should only count if it's a primetime Emmy. To which I said, I don't know if that's fair. A lot of good television happens during the daytime. So like, I was like, I feel like an Emmy. Also, a lot Emmy. of good, that's excluding a lot of children's Emmys as well. Yes, it does. It eliminates a lot of her favorites, such as the cast of Sesame Street, from being eligible for Emmys. So I don't know. I would say that I think that they should count. Anyways, now if you're getting into like the weeds and you get into local Emmys, no, local Emmys should not count. No, but, I, I agree though. Daytime Emmys do yeah, count day- because yeah. that is a large body voting yeah. on this. Yeah. 
So anyways, I just wanted to get your temperature on this. So yes, daytime movies totally count in your EGOT. I agree. She's wrong. Move on. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, a lot of like stage actors do, or at least did, daytime soap operas as their first forte, forte into true. acting. It's true. So I don't, I don't see that. You're, you're, you're splitting hairs. Yeah, I agree. It, it's an Emmy. It's an Emmy win. I agree. She's not going to listen to this, but I'm going to tell her afterwards. Oh, I'll, I'll tell her. I'll tell her you myself. I'll, I'll scream it at the heavens because <laughs> Alan Menken, who yes. has eight Oscars yes. and 11 Grammys yes. and one Tony Award, uh-huh. finally took home the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Original Song in a children's, young adult, or animated program. As I just mentioned, that kids' TV counts. Oh, you don't have to mention the part in the story that says it's pictured because obviously there's no picture. Right. I, uh, I because with Al Mankin pictured with Celine Dion. <laughs> just imagine, just envision Celine Dion next to Alan Mankin while you read the rest of the story. Yep. Yes, because he, uh, he composed Waiting in the Wings for yeah. Rapunzel's Tangled mm-hmm. Adventures. Uh, his win makes him the 16th person to achieve EGOT status. As we mentioned, winning the Emmy, Grammy, yes. Oscar, and Tony. What he got means if you think we're crazy and we're just saying weird name words we made up, that's when he got is. Yes. Uh, in normal circumstances, mostly music composers or artists win EGOT awards. Right. Uh, as Who such, else has won an EGOT? And that's all I was about to say. He's uh, joined an elite group of winners. Such as John Legend, who was the most recent one before him, uh, Tim Rice, Rita Moreno, Audrey Hepburn, Mel Brooks, Mike Nichols, Whoopi Goldberg, probably one of the more famous winners, uh, Helen Hayes, Marvin Hamlish, mm-hmm. Mike Nichols, again. Hey, he's on here twice. <laughs> He's, he got it so he he got it so nice that they he got it him twice. Uh, Robert Lopez, mm-hmm. Richard Rogers, John Gilgun, Jonathan Tunick, and producer Scott Rudin. Yes, um, yeah. I I uh, well, two things about this list though. Like one, I bet Tim Rice kept probably giving Alan Menken some like hassles throughout the year because they. Have, we're writing partners on several projects. Yeah. Um, and two, I want to believe that all these people have a group chat. <laughs> you imagine? I, <laughs> like, I'd love it. You get access to the EGOT Discord channel. Uh, <laughs> if you get an EGOT. The EGOT game room where you're playing like Go or Hanafuda yeah. with each other. Oh, and they're just playing Jackbox. <laughs> playing Jackbox games and up in there. Anyway. J- just constantly PKO. egotting each other. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah. Uh, congratulations, Alan Menken, for something yes. that you probably... Long career, well-deserved. Yeah. Alan Menken, finally an EGOT winner. Finally. Wait, uh, doesn't Whoopi Goldberg have the daytime Emmy, too? So that would nullify her, right? Uh, According to that theory? Know what Emmy she has? That's a good. Oh, you know what? She probably has a prime time because she probably has a guest star Emmy. Oh yes, probably from like an SNL hosting gig in the '90s, if I was to guess, well, or a hosting the Oscars gig in the mid '90s when she did that like three times. 
Uh, don't look it up. Looking up things kill podcasts. Let's no, they don't. Let's just keep going. They don't kill podcasts. Anyways, we have folklore. Yeah, we have thoughts to talk about or thought to talk about with music. We have yeah. a record that uh, we didn't even cover last week. Well, because as of recording last week, this thing didn't exist. Well, it existed, just not to anybody's knowledge. Yeah, so again, leading further credence to my theory that we should do this podcast on Thursdays. Uh, on Thursday, we found out that Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift has a, had a surprise upper sleeve for all of us quarantined individuals. She's and pregnant. No. Oh. I like that. A surprise of the music variety, as she had an entire album that she had produced during quarantine that she was ready to unleash on her fans and the general public. Not only just a regular album of brand new Taylor Swift music, but one that acted as a collaboration with a, like a, with a, a producer that she had previously not worked with before, The National's Aaron Dessner. Out of nowhere is probably what you're thinking. And yes, it did seem like a, an out of nowhere left field choice. But then we all got to listen to it um, on Friday. And um, suddenly that choice makes a whole lot more sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we listened to this. You so probably folklore. listened to this more than me. Yeah, so Folklore is the name of the record. It is brand new Taylor Swift uh, music that uh, it sounds a little different from her previous work. It's a little bit more orchestrated. It's a little bit low tempo. It's not going for a pop sound as we've gotten to know Pop Taylor from 1989 to Reputation to Lover. This is a little bit lower key of an album. And um, yeah, I'm curious to see how this sat with you. What did you think about Folklore? Uh, it definitely sounded like Taylor Swift but without all the excess pop production yeah. added to it. Um, it's interesting that you break, bring up those previous three albums, because if you look at the title track for Reputation, or was it Reputation or Dedication? No, it was Reputation. Reputation, Dedicated is the Carly Rae Jepsen record. Right. So no, if you look at the song Reputation on Reputation's album, and if you look at the Lover song on yeah. the Lover album, they would fit in this folklore album, I would say. Eh, more or less. I see more what you're going for is that they're slower, they're slower, more ballady kind of versions. Right, of which is Taylor. kind of what I feel Taylor yeah. Swift always wanted to do, just albums like that. But because she is considered a pop artist, needed to either she needed to or someone on her producing team needed to bring in the heavy hitting pop sounds, pop albums, you know, guitars and stuff. Mm. Where this is none of that. So that's an interesting take. And so my, my feeling about that is I don't know if that's 100% accurate. And the reason why I say that is I think the move into pop was 100% Taylor's choice. No, I'm I not saying that. That's not what I, I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think that there was a, I don't think there was a pressure really from the outside or from her internal team. Uh, making her do those louder kind of pop poppier sounds. I think that she genuinely enjoys those big arena filling pop anthems. If you watch the like the doc documentary, the Miss Americana documentary that Netflix mm -hmm. did, 
she talks about how much that that was her lifeblood. I mean, it's the thing that kept her going through the whole reputation era was that she genuinely enjoys doing that kind of music on that kind of scale. That being said, yes, there is an element of this where she does seem comfortable, really comfortable in this more ballady, slower setting. And it's definitely a through line through her entire career that these are the kind of songs that she seems to, she really enjoys recording, whether or not performing or not, that's a whole nother conversation. So it's fitting that this being her quarantine record, a record that she's not going to be able to tour on at all, is the one that doesn't have a whole lot of tour-ready songs. It does make sense. So I see where you're go. I see what you're saying to that extent, but I don't see this as any sort of like commentary on what she would rather perform or what she or what somebody is telling her now she can perform or can't perform. I think it's literally just. This is the mode she's in right now. It's in a work from home mode, which is she's been thinking about, like she made a statement before the record's uh, release where she was like, yeah, I've been thinking of having a lot of these fantasies and kind of being in the fantastical realm of the mind. And that's kind of where she was at when she wrote the songs. And the songs totally show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- I did get some of her like original songs, like at least the sound and feel like with teardrops on my guitar kind of like I got that kind of like melody yeah. or that, that kind of like feeling when I was listening to this yeah it, it's definitely the, the this I, I have some thoughts up on the website on mediaboatpodcast.com where I mentioned this uh, at one point but I think that Taylor that can write something like this has always been there there's always been an element of that of her writing that's been songs like this But I think why a lot of people are saying that this is different is because of the production that's in this record is Mm -hmm. it's very, that's where the difference comes. Uh, So are you familiar at all with the national, the band, the national? I think one album I am. Okay. Yeah. They've been kind of, they're not a huge institution. They're kind of a, they've been like an indie staple for the last decade or so. I think they really hit big in like 2010, 2011. Um, And, but they've been around ever since kind of making these richly orchestrated, like kind of woodsy dad rock. I've heard it referred to as where it's just like, it's what your dad would listen to. (laughs) Not maybe not your dad, but you know, not my dad, not your dad. I don't know what your dad listens to. Talk radio. Yeah, I was going to say not music. <laughs> Sports, uh, AM 830. But, uh, but yeah, and so, so this is basically that kind of national sound channeled through Taylor Swift, and it totally works. Um, I've heard somebody refer to it, the lead single, Cardigan, off of this thing, as mm-hmm. basically a national song that Taylor sings. And yeah, to a certain extent, that is what you're getting here. I wrote in the, the piece I wrote, that this is Taylor writing a 2010s indie indie record, and it totally is. Mm-hmm. It's very like it's very much of that kind of era, uh, 2010, 2011, um, and that's not a bad thing. And I think in a way, it's strange that she decided that that's what she wanted to make, but not strange when you consider her audience has probably not heard anything like this before. Um. I think they have, but they've just called it Lana Del Rey. 
<laughs> okay. I've seen a lot of people make Lana comparisons here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're super founded because I think the thing that Lana does that Taylor does not do on this record is Lana has a lot of influences from from hip hop and R&B that are kind of subtly influencing her music both lyrically and in the production that I don't think you see here at all. And so when people have, on the internet have been making Lana comparisons, I've just been ignoring them because I, I don't hear it. I don't hear it in folklore. I think that if you want a Taylor Swift song that sounds like Lana Del Rey, it was on 1989. It was called Wildest Dreams. She did that. This is not that. This is not her Lana pastiche. She did that already way back in 20. 20- when did that come out? 20... 1989. <laughs> Very funny. 2014? 2014. 2014. So, yeah, so, no, I don't think that the, the of comparisons are fair. This is very much not that. But artists, like, on paper, there are some similarities for sure. On paper, this is her singer-songwriter album which is very much more in line with the th- kind of thing that Lana has done recently. Right, but like even what you just brought up, Wildest Dreams on 1989, you can see those songwriting elements and style that have improved over the years from then to this record. Yeah, I definitely think that this is her taking that version of, of the Taylor Swift persona and just leaning all the way into it. And I think in a way that we're going to look back at Lover and be like, oh, this is the pivot point. Because there's, like, while Lover did have the big bombastic pop tracks, those were the ones that definitely did not work for me. When you, Be in you, Cruel Summer? No, that's the exception. I love Cruel Summer. When yes, I'm talking but do you see it on the radio? Is, no. Exactly. Because no, we I'm live talking, it. We live a Cruel Summer. <laughs> we live it. Uh, but the, the ones I'm talking about are the, the singles, like Me and um, what was the other single? Uh, Cal- uh, you Need to Calm Down. Calm Down. And uh, those are the ones that she decided, like, no, I'm not going to do that for this, this time. And the ones that this one reflects are the title track, Lover, and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the Chicks collab that was on that record as well. Um, the slower moments, the less poppy moments. That's, I think, people are going to look back and like, oh, she was kind of hinting at this direction early on with some of that stuff. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of great songs on this thing. Yeah, I I was going to say, we've been talking about big picture stuff. We have not been talking about the record itself, uh, the actual songs that are here. Did you have any particular standouts for you or? Uh, No, but she continues to name drop different people during, during the record. I think Rebecca and... Amy were one? So yeah, there's a lot of names on this record and some super fans have pointed out that some of the names on this record line up exactly to the children of uh, Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, people are saying that like, oh, she's inserting their kids' names into her songs. I'm like, well, I guess they're friends, so I guess that's fine. Like, I guess that makes sense. Still weird, though. Um. Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer are friends, so the weird things have happened. Weird things have happened for sure. So yeah, um, so no, no particular, no particular standouts for you. Uh, I only listened to the record twice, mm-hmm. so I'll probably give it a couple more times. 
I'm probably like six or seven at this yeah, point. You are. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I think that they, yeah, there's some really, really, really strong tracks. I think the strongest are the ones that she worked with. Hey, what do you know? Media boat favorite Jack Antonoff on um, Aug- uh, my favorite is probably August. Yeah. Um, and I really also liked uh, Mirror Ball. I like Mirror Ball. Yeah. Towards the middle of the record. Um, yeah, there's some really, really great stuff on this thing. So yeah, if you're re- if you want a more introspective kind of like more ready to listen to while you're like driving in the fall kind of album, this is going to be that. I think this is going to be a good late summer fall kind of record, a good like slow burn kind of thing. I think she may have made her golden hour here. I know you said that about Gaslighter last week. But or two weeks ago, but I think that it's I think it's more apt here, talking about talking about here. I feel like both of those records feel similar to me in tone. It'll be interesting come Grammy season. Yes, it's definitely this is Grammy bait right here, and so I I could imagine this being a really interesting yeah contender potentially for Taylor there. Yep, and don't be surprised if this is brought up again at the end of the year on our list too. Yes. All right. Let's move on. All right, let's head into the end here as we wrap up with video game news. Yes, big video game news. New releases. Uh, Fairy Tale for the PlayStation, Switch, and PC. That's based off the anime Fairy Tale. Yes. We have Scully for the PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and PC. Uh-huh. And we have a couple of fun names here. Yes. Fall Guys colon Ultimate Knockout. For PlayStation and PC. I believe this will be free to PlayStation Plus owners. Yes, for August. Uh, it is one of the play, uh, free PlayStation Plus games. My understanding is, is this is a battle royale, but if but, uh, but, but a battle royale in which the actual game you're playing is like kind of like a Mario Party minigame that varies every instance of the game that you play. So it seems like a neat, potentially really neat idea. Okay. I'll check it out. I mean, I get it for free yeah. or with a paid subscription. Yeah, $50 a year. <laughs> uh, and lastly, Mobile Suit Gundam colon Extreme versus Maxi Boost on. Yes. For PlayStation. Uh, extreme versus maxi boost on what are you not understanding about that well because i was looking at maxi boost <laughs> on playstation i know i know but maxi boost on as part of the title Maxi boost on yes all right uh let's get into video game news and as you pointed out last week yes and continuously about doing the show on thursday <laughs> xbox or microsoft had a press conference last thursday wrapping up fake e3 no, it continues because Microsoft's not even done. They said they'll be back in August to do another show. Um, and we still haven't uh, gotten prices or release dates from Sony or them. So there's going to be more E3. <laughs> right. Uh, well, let's see what Xbox had to do. Which... Oh, and Nintendo. Nintendo hasn't even announced their first party lineup at all. So yeah, no, there Nintendo will be doesn't more... have any like releases for the latter half of the year here. E3 is far from over. It may never have begun, but it's not even close to be ending either. So, Well, uh, we got our first look about Halo Infinite. 
Yeah. Um, actual yeah. gameplay for Halo Infinite. Okay. What did you think about the stuff that they showed? Well, first of all, before we go into the, the individual games, what did you think about this showing overall? Like, did uh, you think they did what they needed to do here? I got the same vibe from when they did the PS4 yeah. reveal back in 2013, where they showed a lot of games, but also a lot of games that would eventually come. Nothing that was immediate. Yeah. Because even in 2013, when the PS4 was first revealed, they showed a teaser for Kingdom Hearts 3, which, as we know, eventually took five years to come out. Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of, like, worried about and thinking here, that a lot of these games look cool, but they're cinematic trailers meant to get you excited, mainly talking about the Obsidian game, Ascend, or... Uh, Avowed. Avowed, where it looks cool. I'm really interested in it. But I also think it's going to come out in five years. Yeah, it might be a little bit, for sure. So I had, I had two kind of takeaways. My first takeaway was, man, Game Pass just keeps getting to be a better and better deal. Because they announced at the top of the show that everything that they were going to show was going to be on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. So clearly, Game Pass remains, and specifically Game Pass Ultimate, remains a fantastic bargain. Um, the second takeaway I had for this is, man, they really want you to care more about Game Pass than buying an Xbox Series X, huh? Because yeah, that's one of the big things I got was yeah. this: uh, the Game Pass is basically becoming your Xbox will be a Game yes. Pass machine. They they're gonna sell Xboxes regardless, but they want they really want from you is your subscription cost, and yeah. Uh, a lot of this stuff is also going to be on PC Game Pass as well. So it really, like, le- like it leaves you with the question at the end of this is, like, you kind of have two choices here. You, you are like, are, am I going to be someone who is going to be 100% in the Xbox ecosystem and get a Series X at launch and have my Game Pass there? Or am I going to be in, just go all the way with the PC and like just go heavy in PC this this and get all well, pretty much all of this and way more with a PC with Game Pass. So it's it definitely kind of leaves a weird weird feeling that we're not used to feeling at the beginning of a console generation, which is do I even need this console? Right, especially when Game Pass Ultimate goes for both Xbox and PC. Yes, yes. Um, I might as well say I upgraded to Ultimate uh, this past weekend, and now I have it now. So I'm technically so you have access saving. to all these games. I'm technically saving money, I think, because I was going to have to pay for gold again in September, anyways. Which you can no longer buy the year for. Yeah. So, so there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's go through the individual games that they showed here uh, and talk about what we thought. All right. So first up. Uh, their flagship game, their launch title, Halo Infinite. Yes, Halo Infinite. Um, this is the only game that they showed actual gameplay for. Technically, yes, Forza was in engine, but it was not gameplay. So no, no, the, it's in engine, but it's still a cinematic. Doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, so, having looked at actual gameplay for it, that game is unfinished. Okay. Oof. Now, now, what brings you to that conclusion? What are you... There are a lot of missing texture packages. The, r- compare the rocks in that game 
in the foliage in that game to that of Last of Us Part Two, which I've been playing. It's a night and day thing. Okay, Reddit. Um, now, <laughs> are you saying this because of the feedback that the internet glommed on? No, I was saying this when I first watched it. Okay, because that's the question I have. Because, okay, what size screen were you watching this conference on then? This size screen. <laughs> that doesn't help me. You need to tell me what it is because we can't. There are people listening to this on audio. I don't know. It's one arm length. I don't know what I don't know what my size is. A computer monitor. The computer monitor, yeah. A computer monitor. Streamed at at 4K. Why? Wait, is it 4K? No, 1080. Okay. Oh, 4K well, monitor. I was watching this on a phone, so okay. I don't know if that painted my expectations of this thing. Um, so it's interesting that you immediately noticed that there was this deficiency in the visuals department. My takeaway for this thing was one. That looks like a Halo game. And two, that looks like a really fun Halo game. Like, I came out of this, actually, this footage that they showed, really positive. And so when I was, when the conference was over and I started seeing, like, little things trickle in about people pointing out the, the visuals being bad, I thought we had watched two different shows. And I was just like, what are people talking about? And I went back and looked at it on a bigger screen at a higher quality. And still I was like, yeah, sure, this doesn't look finished, but the game's not finished. Well, that's where I was getting at, that the game's not finished, but... But it doesn't look that bad. I don't think it looks that bad. Also, well, I pointed out that texture packages are missing because the game's not finished. Also, I had flashbacks because this is exactly what happened with Halo 3. Right. Like, I'm old enough... Me, I'm the ancient gamer over here, and which is what I currently have as my uh, title on Animal Ho Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons. I call myself the ancient gamer right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, ancient gamers over here being like, I remember way back in 2006 when we were looking at early footage of Halo 3 and people were like, this isn't in HD. This looks like Halo 2. It's like, just history repeats. It's going to look fine. You're going to be happy. It's not going to be the end of the world if this Halo game doesn't look like The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah, I saw a lot of people online making the saving argument that because it needs to run on both Xbox One and Xbox Series X so, that it needs, that you will see a downgraded version before you see an upgraded version. I still think that that is a little disingenuous. Like, I think I know where people are coming from when they're saying that, because there's an element of truth to that. Yes, there's going to be a version of Halo Infinite that will run on an Xbox One base model. That is true. That being said, I think that a lot of people are being hyperbolic in how much they're saying that about the textures and and stuff about this game. I don't think it looks that bad. It looks fine. It looks fine. I didn't see any like frame drops or anything. It ran smooth for what they're running it on. It looked like a Halo game. I liked what they showed briefly with an open world map or a sandbox yeah. style where you can go yeah. and achieve different missions. So the question about that element of the game still feels unanswered, which is how much of this game is an open world map like that. Because even Halo 1 had areas, missions, where there was um, a 2001 version, 2001 equivalent of an open world map. 
like right that. here's an open world but here's the one place you need to go I mean, and the only even, one thing you can interact with it's similar to even what we've seen recently with last of us part two where it's like yes a lot of this game is linear but we do have these open world areas so the question then is is this like the last of us where the majority of the missions are still going to be linear linear like directed experiences and only a handful of these missions are going to be these big ring worlds as they refer to in this in this showcase or is it going to be the bulk of it are going to be these big worlds and what we end up getting is more like a borderlands that's funny you bring that up because i'm wondering if we if the xbox one x and probably even the ps5 have the power to create something like borderlands 2 where you can start in one place and literally run through the entire map without having to use a waypoint. So I think, so. yeah, I think right now where we're at with Halo Infinite is it's definitely a wait and see in all sorts of ways, both visually mm-hmm. and in design, because we don't even know what kind of game we're getting here. We know we're getting story that picks up where Halo 5 left off. We know that much. But visually and like tonally, it seems like what they're really going for is, hey, remember Halo 1? Which conflicts with that. Yeah, I got that a lot. Like, oh, this looks texture-wise like Halo 1. Which, you know, is good for nostalgia, but also we're in 2020 here, not 2001 anymore. So there's a lot of questions here. Me, though, I'm excited. Because honestly, I think, one, it's been long enough since I've really gotten into a Halo game where I could totally play another Halo game. And two, my favorite Halo game is Halo 1. So I am more than thrilled to see them kind of revisit some of the aesthetics and design that they kind of left by the wayside with the rest of the series. So I'm excited for it. I'm a lot more positive, I think, than most people are about this game. I'm looking forward to being able to play it. Uh, So here's your Evolution Combat Evolved Halo game. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, I'm interested to see a lot of these questions that we have get answered uh, to see exactly what this thing is as we get closer to launch. All right. Uh, Let's move on to more games then. Yes. As they announced, what, 20 games, 30 games? Yeah, they just trucked with the releases here. Oh yeah, there was no specs, all games. Yeah. So we have State of Decay 3, zombie game. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I hear some people are really into the State of Decay games. I don't care about them, but hey, it's cool that they're making another one. Yep, same. Uh, Forza Motorsport, as is expected with any new console release, a new Forza game. Uh, we also have Everwild, I think looks really good. Uh, all right, yeah, there, Matt. It's me, Margaret. As we also have uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps making a debut for the... Okay. Is that on your side or me? Hmm? It came back on. Oh, it did now? Okay, yeah. cool. What'd you do to it? Well, was that you or me? Uh, that was me, but apparently we're still recording. <laughs> Don't say that. I don't know what it recorded there then. Probably just me being like, can you hear me? 
Probably, because I was trying to like still speak to you. But anyways, going on. Before we move on to Everwild, I wanted to say something about Forza real quick. Yes. I just wanted to say that I'm at odds with Forza because I feel like the cars look better than Gran Turismo cars. Like, I think it's a better looking game than I think what they showed off for Gran Turismo. But they actually showed gameplay for Gran Turismo where they didn't for Forza. So I'm kind of split. I feel like those games are both like... Right, because with Forza, as you mentioned, we saw it in Engine. Right. Well, yeah. So supposedly it's going to look that good in gameplay, but we won't know until we actually see gameplay. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like 50-50 about that game. Well, it's always a Forza game. It's always their tech demo to say, hey, look how beautiful this can be. Yeah. Same with Gran Turismo. It's always, look how beautiful the console can be initially. How round these wheels are. Yep. All the all these polygons make a circle. It's true. Against all odds. Uh, oh, okay, so moving on. Everwild. Yes, Rare. Uh, Rare's Everwild, which had been previously announced and teased. Uh, but we saw more cinematic footage of it. No actual gameplay. We still don't know what kind of game this is. And uh, apparently neither does Rare. <laughs> I saw a, saw a story go out where apparently Rare is still playing around with gameplay ideas for this game. Which is, means that this thing is super far out. Yay, like I said, super far out games. So yeah, um, but what they showed looked colorful and cool. I mean, it seems like it's kind of Pokemon adjacent where you're like befriending these animals and use and like which I like the idea going on an adventure with them so yeah there's potential there uh we also have tell me why yes that is the new don't nod uh at choose your own adventure game that will follow the life is strange model yeah where it's a brother sister wonder twins combo yeah um this is also the game that they meant they kind of teased a couple months ago that will uh, heavily feature a, uh, a trans character. And um, it seems like if you have any questions about how that portrayal will go, they've put up an FAQ on their website that answers a lot of questions about exactly how they're going to treat some of that uh, subject matter. So if that, if you're curious at all, about how that will be treated. Go on to the FAQ and there will be all sorts of answers for your questions. Hey, why not? Uh, we also have Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, getting a remastered and upgraded version for the Series X. Yeah, not so much a remaster, but yeah, an upgraded version that they state will fully take advantage of Series X. Yep. Uh, we also have a DLC for the Outer World, Peril, at, Peril on Gorgon. Yeah, I guess it was announced here because it will be a timed exclusive for Microsoft consoles. Um, so you won't find this on PS4 for the time being. Okay. Uh, we also have Grounded, which got early access available. Checks watch now. Yes, and this is also Obsidian. This is a, from what I understand, a multiplayer co-op focused survival game. It's honey, it's someone watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids a little yeah. too much. So I will eventually check this out because it's um, early access is uh, uh, through Game Pass. You can just play it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll eventually check this out. I think why I'm hesitant on it is because I don't really enjoy playing a whole lot of stuff that forces me to work with together with other people. So because I'm unreliable and so I don't want to have people yell at me. 
How can you have that mindset when we've been doing this week after week? You're totally reliable. I don't have to play a video game, though, to do a podcast. That is the key difference. <laughs> it's not a live or die situation to do a podcast every week. Uh, I don't know. So far, we've been doing it every week like it's live or die. <laughs> Somehow. Um, so, yeah, um, I might check out some ground and might talk about it in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Obsidian, uh, we mentioned Avowed, which only showed a brief minute, minute and a half trailer. Yeah. Uh, which was swords and sorcery yeah. type gameplay. What they did show looked a lot like Elder Scrolls, so this might be Obsidian's take on that kind of RPG. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I like Part of me is like, people who really like RPGs love their RPGs, like the Pillars of Eternity games are like really well like held up by people who are hardcore into that kind of thing. But at the same time, I feel like we just all collectively got kind of burned by the Outer Worlds. So Some people like the Outer Worlds. They're making DLC for it. Some people did like it, but a lot of people were disappointed by it. So I feel like getting as excited for this thing as I was excited for Outer Worlds seems like a bad call. Mm-hmm. So I am... Temper going, your expectations then. Yeah, I'm going to lower my expectations this time so that way I don't get as disappointed. All right. Uh, we also have As Dusk Falls. Yeah, this was a visual novel game that looks like it uses a similar kind of look to uh, look to it as that uh, game that they showed off at the Sony conference by Co-op that uh, could buy di- uh, Dinosaur High or Volcano mm-hmm. High. Volcano High. Where it's like a motion comic kind of look to it, where it's like rotoscoped actors, but in a 2D art style. I don't know. Could potentially be cool. Seems like it's like telling a dramatic story about I like it. that it's different from all these hack and slash yeah. shooter games. It was definitely their way to like pepper in some variety into this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Hellblade 2. Yeah, this was more uh, footage of Hellblade 2, which we saw as a trailer during the Video Game Awards last December as the first Xbox Series X game. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see more footage of it. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, it should be cool for people who yeah. like that first game. Uh, you can see behind the scenes how they created Hellblade 2 currently yes. on their YouTube channel. Yes. In Iceland. Uh, yeah, Iceland. Yes. And we also got uh, new info on Destiny 2 Beyond Light. And yeah. how Xbox will be getting all DLC for it. Yes, so Game Pass will get all DLC, which is really, really cool. The question I have, though, is this just for console Game Pass or will PC Game Pass get it as well? And I don't know the answer to that. Can you figure out the answer for that? Because if the answer is, uh, I mean, potentially, uh, but if the answer is that PC Game Pass gets this as well, uh, that would be great news to me because guess who just downloaded, installed, and got back into Destiny 2 on a PC? I did. So... So yeah, um, that would be really, really cool. And, and it would mean that I would have to uninstall the Steam version that I installed just now to install the Microsoft Store version. But that's not that big of a deal. No, so, that's just like, what, four hours of your time? Oh yeah, well, no. Actually, it downloaded, I pr- I'm proud to say that my copy on Steam, all 92 gigabytes of it, downloaded within two hours. Hey, there you go. Thank you, Spectrum Gigabit. <laughs> Uh, we also have Stalker 2, sequel to Stalker. Stalker. Yeah, a series that we haven't heard from in 
five, six years. So Since 2016. Uh, we also have Warhammer 40K. Dark Tide. Is Dark Tide, the, is yes. name for that? Dark Tide. So, so if you recall uh, Warhammer Vermintide, which was a game that came out last year? I do not. Okay. Well, this is a sequel to that, except the Warhammer 40K universe. So it's basically taking the same kind of gameplay, but making it future. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we also have Tetris Effect Connected. And this was the most exciting moment for me of this entire show. Because Tetris. So yeah, it's taking uh, Tetris Effect, uh, which was, of course, Media Book Podcast Game of the Year uh, 2018. Uh, 2018? Yeah. Yeah. 19? 2018. That was two years ago. Um, this 2019 was Pokemon. Right, you're right. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, and uh, giving it uh, multiplayer modes, uh, both competitive and cooperative modes. Mm-hmm. This uh, specific version of the game will be exclusive to Microsoft platforms. So that's, um, I believe, Xbox and PC uh, for a year, and then will eventually become as an add on to existing um, PlayStation and Epic Store versions of the game. But for now, um, come the holiday season, the Xbox and PC, uh, the Xbox and Microsoft PC Store versions will be the only ones that will have these additional modes, as well as they're what they're calling an enhanced version of the single player mode. Right. So I yeah. am thrilled to play more Tetris Effect. Uh, we also have The Gunk. Yes. And the medium. Yeah, the gunk is by the Steam World people. And the medium, we actually saw footage of previously in the last Xbox game showcase, which is that horror game. Mm hmm. Wow. I think the medium has the greatest potential out of all these games, where it's yeah. dual worlds simultaneously. And the gunk looks like, what was it? Super Mario Sunshine? Kind of, yeah. Gunk, gunk-based mechanics. Never yep. since sunshine. And as we wrap up here, New Genesis colon Fantasy Star Online 2. Yes, which is a new version with a new world of Fantasy Star Online 2 uh, that will be timed exclusive for Microsoft platforms. Uh, get caught up in the crossfire with Crossfire X. Well, that everybody's same joke about Crossfire X. Don't care, still saying it. The two things about this. So the campaign for this is being developed by Remedy, uh, who recently brought us Control from last year. And the second thing, fun fact, did you recognize the song uh, that was playing behind this trailer? No. It is an extremely slowed down dramatic version of DMX's X Gonna Give It To You." <laughs> Go back oh and listen. Because Crossfire X? Yes, I noticed it and just could not stop laughing to myself by myself in the morning while I was working. (laughs) That was the funniest thing I had ever seen. (laughs) Anyway, and last but not least, there one more thing. Yes, always that one more thing that we're cooking on. The thing that will take five years to come out. One more thing. Fable. Fable Remake, Fable 4... Fable 3, Fable Fable whatever, but new Fable game coming soon. By soon, I mean years. 
to Xbox Series X. Do you have a history with Fable games? No. Yeah, I've never played a Fable game. So uh, we're the wrong people to talk about this. But hey, some people like that series. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. I think I've gotten an Xbox. I've gotten an Xbox from Garage Sale way back when with several games. Yeah. Fable was a part of the games, but the Fable disc was not in the game case. Oh, whoops. And so I don't know whatever happened to it, so I never played it. <laughs> well, all three Fables are currently, as of this recording, available for Game Pass subscribers. So okay. if you ever want to check them out, this would be the time to do that. It's a thing. And that's it for Xbox stuff. That is it. Also, if you want to see a write-up on all of these games, go to MediaBellPodcast.com, yes. where we track all of these games as they were announced. Yep. Yep. So check it out. But that's not the only news this week. No. Uh, as Nintendo also got in the news, yeah, or maybe didn't but, want to get in the news for this. Yeah, they probably didn't. Yeah, they probably didn't appreciate it too much. No, as source code, not the movie, but source code <laughs> for a vast number of classic Nintendo games on the N sixty four and NES has seemingly been leaked online by anonymous posters. Uh, fans have already been digging into the alleged giga leak. As of source code for games, including the likes of Mario 64, Mario Kart, Star Fox 1 and 2, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Yoshi's Island, just to name a few. You ever, you ever drink so, many, so much water in one sitting that you have to take a giga leak? <laughs> no, but I've drank so much water that I try to go to the bathroom, I got to go again and then again. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Anyway. Anyways, uh, so far, a veritable trove of what is said to be unused assets include levels, sprites, and character designs have surfaced. The alleged leaked code is currently flooding social media since it first came to light. Some concept features as yet unseen in Nintendo's classic games have reportedly been unearthed from the leak, and those reading into the code have seemingly discovered unreleased game prototypes, such as a scrapped Zelda 2 remake. As VGC reports, the leak seems to include plans for a Pokemon MMO back in the early 2000s for the Game Boy Advanced, said to be based on Pokemon Red Fire and Leaf Green. I also saw reports of playable Luigi in Mario 64. Well, not necessarily playable Luigi, but a the model, model. Or a character for a Luigi character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, like it's crazy some of the stuff that, that's been come out from this leak. All sorts of weird alternate universe versions of games, beta versions of games, creepy early designs of Yoshi, where he looked more dinosaur-like. Um, and yeah, the internet's having a field day with all this shit. Like they're just going crazy with, like I know that a lot of modders were going crazy when I saw when this got leaked. Yeah, and there's like super crisp recorded version audio uh, files from N64 games, which are blowing people's minds. Mm-hmm. There's like all sorts of things. So it is important to note here that allegedly, if, at least from what people have been able to dig up online, this seems to all have been stolen material. This seems to link back to a story that I believe we actually reported here on the Media Pope podcast a few years ago 
about a big leak from both a uh, big uh, big hack from both Nintendo and Microsoft, where one dude was able to basically hack into servers and get a bunch of stuff. This allegedly is from that hack. Ooh. It just took a while to disseminate because of, I guess, originally there was some sort of insider deal that was made between a small group of people where this data would have been come out slowly over time that just got broken and it's all being giga leaked out at once. Um, so yeah, um, it's kind of, yeah, it makes this kind of story kind of into a moral gray area. Whereas like, yes, this is stolen. Yes, this is kind of like peeling back the curtain of like a bunch of developers who are still working in the industry. They like their stuff that they had under wraps for presumably for a reason. Then of course there's the flip side, which is from a game preservation standpoint, it's awesome that this stuff is getting out because we don't get to see this side of Nintendo's operations like this. Right, you don't get to peer behind the curtain. So yeah, it's it's interesting morally where this lands, um, but ultimately what it means is that we're getting a treasure trove of cool Nintendo fact, fun facts, like alternate universe versions of all these games. And so yeah, it's cool in that way. Yeah, very cool. Uh, speaking of stuff that's very cool, you yes. played some games. I played some games that came out in this calendar year, 2020, believe it or not. All right. Tell me about Carry On. So, yes, this is a new game, as in it came out this week. Uh, carry On. It's not Carry On, but Carry On. Are you familiar with Carry On, which is basically just like dead, rotting meat? No, I'm familiar with Carry On, which is a family name. <laughs> like carry on luggage like that's what you're allowed to take on the plane yeah just spelt the same so it's not it's not it's um so carrion is a game uh so it's a side-scrolling uh exploration puzzle game that has you take the role of a giant hunk of meat like just rotting flesh you're just the thing basically you are not the, the comics, the thing, the movie thing, where you're just like this rotting, gross, disgusting mass. And you, I guess, were an experiment. You have broken out of your, your soul. Mm-hmm. Yes. 